1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, now as we turn our attention to the word of God here in 1 Timothy 3, we pray for your help. Lord, that you would work in our hearts and lives, that you would uh, so declare this truth to us that we may see and recognize the great need we have to hear your word in the church. Help us to see your concern for the church and also to also see the glory of Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what do you think of when you hear the word deacon? For most, deacon probably leads you to think about church and uh, those members of the congregation who go to regular board meetings to help to, to lead the church. If you're a little older, uh, you may think of Deacon Jones. Deacon Jones, famous football player, was a great defensive lineman for the Los Angeles Rams during the 1960s. Uh, Deacon Jones, credited with coming up with the term quarterback sack for when a defensive player tackles a quarterback behind the line of scrimmage. I have to admit, I think of him quite often whenever I hear the word deacon. Um, did you know his real name was David Jones? David Jones. Very common, plain name, and so he changed his name to Deacon because there were too many David Joneses in the phone book, he said. Uh, wanted his name to be more memorable than just David Jones, and it definitely worked, at least on me. Uh, but, but what is a deacon? What is a deacon, and, and what are deacons supposed to do in the church? I wonder how you would answer that, 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 those questions there. What's a deacon? What are deacons supposed to do? How would you explain the role of deacons in the church to your children, if they asked, or to someone that's outside of the church? My first response to those questions would be, well, it depends. It depends on the church. Almost every local church has deacons, but the role of deacons and the work that they do varies greatly from church to church. And here in the last few, few years, the role of deacons has changed in our own church. So I thought it'd be good for us this morning to take some time and hear how the Bible would answer those two questions. What is a deacon and what are deacons supposed to do within the church? One of the main things that we'll see is that each local church needs good deacons. So our main theme from our passage this morning in 1 Timothy 3 is that local churches need deacons of godly character to serve them well. So here we are in the middle of uh, 1 Timothy, and we've come to probably the, the, the key passage in all the New Testament focused on the qualifications for deacons. But this passage will not answer 
are questions of what is a deacon and, and what are deacons supposed to do within the church. So we'll have to spend time uh, on this passage, but also look at other, other passages in the New, New, New Testament to help us to answer those questions. As Paul writes this letter, he is concerned about godliness within the local church, the behavior of the local church, and so uh, particularly the godliness of the church's leaders. For as we heard last week, the character of a local church will follow the character of its leaders. If their leaders are godly, the local, the, the local church then will also follow their leaders in godliness. So Paul is, is addressing the two main offices in the local church, the overseers or elders, that's in verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3, which we talked about last week, and now deacons in verses 8 through 13. So each local church needs leaders. Leaders are very important, and they must be godly examples for the whole church. That's what, what we're seeing here in these passages. So first, um, let's take a look at uh, the two offices within the local church. So there are two offices within the local church. We see that in our passages uh, as well as um, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. So just to be clear, by offices, I do not mean the rooms in the church building where the pastor and the secretary do their work, all right? I mean designated leadership positions in the church. That's what I mean by church officers or offices. In the New Testament, there are only two listed, and we see them here in 1 Timothy 3. The very first word of chapter 8 marks the transition from the previous paragraph and begins with deacons. Deacons, likewise, and this indicates that Paul was previously focused on a different leadership role, that with the role of overseer or elder in verses 1 through 7. And now he's going to focus on another office, another position, that is deacon. From the qualifications, we see that the leadership roles are similar between the elders and deacons, yet they are different. And we're going to focus on the differences next, but, but now I just want us to see that here in this letter, Paul's uh, instructions to the church here on how to order itself, he lists only two church offices. In Philippians 1, verse 1, if you want to just turn back there, just a few pages to the, to the left in your Bibles, Philippians 1, verse 1, the Apostle Paul addresses his letter to the church in the city of Philippi as well as their leaders here in verse 1, and he again mentions these two types of church officers. So look at Philippians 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, so Paul introduces himself as the author of the letter, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. The overseers and deacons. Uh, now, this, this doesn't mean that, that a church uh, can't have other types of officers, like trustees or, or a church secretary or a treasurer, for example. The New Testament doesn't forbid local churches from having other types of officers. This is just showing us that the only two types of church officers that were required within the local churches are overseers and deacons, elders and deacons. A church needs both types of leaders serving together. 
So this is the New Testament pattern, and if churches want to follow the apostles in how to structure their church, they will then at least have these two offices, elders and deacons. So that's the starting point for us, for answering our, our question, what is a deacon? A deacon is one of the two types of New Testament officers or leaders within a local church. Now let's look towards how we can answer our, our second question, what are deacons supposed to do within the church? So that gets us to our second point, elders shepherd and teach the flock, deacons serve in material ways. Uh, verses 2 through 5 and uh, verse 13, and then we'll look at a passage in Acts chapter 6. So there are, are two main passages here that show us the differences between elders and deacons in the New, New Testament. Uh, this one in 1 Timothy 3, and then Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Uh, first, we're going to look at our passage here in 1 Timothy 3. The title overseer, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 there. The title overseer is the Greek word episkopos there in the original uh, language, which means an officer that's in charge of a church, one who oversees a congregation. And as I mentioned last week, the New Testament also uses the, the Greek word Presbyteros, which translates as elder, use that word interchangeably with overseer in the New Testament. So the Greeks in the churches would have understood overseer as a leader over a group, and the Christians with a Jewish background were more familiar with the term elder because the leaders of the synagogues uh, were called elders. So the title points to the type of role that they were to have in the church, that is, they were to have the role of elder, the role of overseer. Now the title deacon, we see in verse 8, simply means servant. What is interesting is that in the translation for overseer or elder, the English translation helps English readers to understand what the Greek words mean. What the Greek word episkopos or presbyteros mean, it means overseer or elder. But deacon is not a translation of meaning. It's simply a transliteration of the Greek word. The, the Greek word is diakonos, deacon. Diakonos means one who serves, or more literally, one who waits tables. That's what the word means. So rather than, than, than putting one who serves or servants, it says deacons, because that's kind of that's the, the office, the name of the office that, that's been passed down through the centuries in the church. Deacons. It's a transliteration. Most time in the New Testament, when, when this Greek word is used, it simply is translated as servant. It's only translated as deacon when the context is referring to this office within the local church. And that's just in a few places in the New Testament. So the first difference between elders and deacons in the local church is that the elders are the ones exercising authority within the local church. They are the leaders, while the deacons are those who are serving in other ways. What, what sorts of ways? Well, let's turn to Acts 6. So Acts chapter 6, again to the left in your, in your Bibles. Acts chapter 6. Acts is a bigger book in our New Testaments. The book of Acts, of course, tells the story of the very beginnings of the church of Jesus Christ. It begins with the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven uh, with his promise to the disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit 
to empower them to be his witnesses to uh, Jerusalem and then in Judea, surrounding country, and in Samaria, beyond the borders, and then to the ends of the earth. So in Acts 6, the apostles have seen a few thousand Jews receive the gospel that they had been preaching, and they have become disciples now of Christ, a few thousand. The church in Jerusalem was large then, and it was growing. And it's made up of locals, local people, as well as those from other parts of the world, both Hebrew-speaking and Greek-speaking people. So as you can imagine, having a big group of different people from different backgrounds all gathered together, well, that could lead to some disagreements. And that's exactly what happens here in Acts chapter 6. So Acts chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews, that's the Hebrew-speaking Jews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That would have been daily distribution of food. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now we are told in Acts chapter 4 and 5 that many of the new Christians were giving generously to the church in order for the church to help to provide for the needs of the poor. Out of all the people in the church, widows would have been among those who were most dependent upon these gifts, especially Jewish widows who were now confessing to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They may have been kicked out of their local synagogues and so would no longer be receiving help from their local synagogues. It's also possible that some would have been disowned by their families for following Christ, so they would have been even more dependent than on their new church family to provide for them. And the church in Jerusalem was doing that. They were providing food for the widows and their children. But it seems that the Hebrew-speaking widows, who were, of course, the ones who were local in Jerusalem and the surrounding area, they were being given preferential treatment. And this led, of course, then to the Greek-speaking widows, who would have been the outsiders and their families, protesting to the apostles of this injustice. This was a problem. It was a problem for the church, a problem for the apostles. And it was happening in the midst of a time of growth within the church. Look back at verse 1 again. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. As we know, disagreements rise up within every church. The challenge is, how does a church effectively deal with those different challenges without the church losing its focus on the mission that Christ has given to the church, to make disciples of all nations? How does the church handle conflicts, handle things that, 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 that rise up, that, that demand attention, and not lose their focus on the main mission, the main ministry? So we see here the apostles were led by the Holy Spirit, and they came up with a wise plan. They asked the congregation to select a group of men who would then serve to care for the physical and financial needs of the church and do so in a way 
that would bring unity and support the leadership and would help the church to, to mature in their faith, to grow, would support the ministry of the gospel. Well, they had to be men who were known to be believers, obviously, full of the Spirit, and men who were mature in their faith, men who resembled the qualifications that we see in 1 Timothy 3. Now, some may wonder in, in, in reading this passage if the apostles sounded like they were minimizing this physical need for the church and were elevating the spiritual need. Verse 2 says, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Now, they were not minimizing the serving of the widows in any way. They realized that if they were, if they were, if they were forced to focus on this need, to focus their attention on, on this conflict and every other conflict that would arise in the church, then they would have to neglect the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. They couldn't do both. They knew that that was something that, could not, that they could not allow to happen. The Lord had called them to preach the gospel. He had called them to teach the disciples all of his commands. If they would neglect the preaching of the Word, the church would not be protected then from false teaching, the church would not be fed the word of God and grow, and they would suffer spiritually and be left unprotected from the enemy. So this was a spiritual challenge that they were facing here. So they established, by the leading of the Spirit, a second office within the church to help with the physical needs of the congregation so that the apostles could focus on their calling, spiritual leadership in the ministry of the word and prayer. Now by, but by the time that we get to Paul in the writing of 1 Timothy, so back to 1 Timothy, the churches are established with these two roles of leadership, two different ministries of service, the spiritual leadership of uh, teaching and preaching, which the elders are, are fulfilling, and the ministry of deacons to take care of the physical needs within the church in order to free up the elders for the ministry of the word and prayer. We see that distinction and one of the main differences between the two lists of qualifications uh, of overseers and deacons in 1 Timothy 3. So if you want to look back there, at the end of verse 2 in the qualifications for overseers, we find that an overseer must be able to teach. And that would be one of the main responsibilities for the elders, to, to feed my sheep, as Jesus told Peter in John 21. The elders are called to teach and preach the truth of the gospel. But that's not a qualification that we see for potential deacons. They have a different role. They have a different calling in the church. Now, we do see in verse 9, they must know the mystery of the faith. Mystery of the faith is what Paul often refers to as the gospel of Jesus Christ, something that was hidden in the Old Testament but has now been revealed. Deacons need to know the gospel. They need to live out the gospel in their lives with a clear conscience, it says there. And if they can teach and preach, wonderful. But that's not their calling. Their calling is to serve the church so that the elders will be able to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So as one, as one writer put it, there is an inseparable link between the labor of a deacon and the flourishing of the word within a church. Without this practical service of the deacons, the elders will not be freed to devote themselves to praying and serving the word to the people. Elders 
need deacons to serve practically, and deacons need elders to lead spiritually. That helps us then to answer uh, our questions. What is a deacon and what do they do? As we see from Acts 6, verse 7, so verse 7 of, of, of that passage in Acts, after the church ordained the seven deacons to serve in this way, Luke tells us, the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. This would not have happened if not for the ministry of deacons. They are essential to the mission of the church. Thirdly, both elders and deacons must be believers of godly character. Now we're going to turn to the qualifications of deacons. Uh, as I em- emphasized last week in the sermon on the qualifications for overseers, what matters most in looking for potential overseers and deacons is not personality or gifting or even good looks. You know, so often um, we say, oh, Man, this, this guy really knows how to fix things. He'd make a good deacon. This guy can really handle money well. He'd make a good deacon because he can do this thing. Um, this guy is a, it has, just has, has a knack for getting people together and, and, and being a good leader. He'd make a good deacon. Well, that, that may very well be the case, but we haven't said anything about the kind of man they are spiritually, what their character is. And that is what Paul is concerned about in these qualifications. What matters is character. A character transformed and shaped by the Holy Spirit as someone comes under the character-shaping influence of the Word of God. For potential deacons, verse 8 tells us that they must have the fruit of the Spirit, particularly in regards to self-control. They must practice self-control in speech and regarding alcohol, They must also be trustworthy, self-controlled in their financial practices. This is an indication that deacons are usually responsible for handling money within the church and therefore must not be known as someone who is greedy for dishonest gain, as verse 8 tells us. And then in in verse 10, we are given a similar instruction to what Paul said in verse 6 of uh, his description for the qualifications of elders. The church ought not to elect someone to the position of elder or deacon until they've had time to show their spiritual maturity. It says there in verse 10, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Paul's not referring to a certain skills placement test that someone would have to sit down and write out answers for. Nor is he referring to some physical fitness test that deacons would have to pass. Uh, It's not like the churches were to come up with their own type of of Bible knowledge and problem-solving tests for any potential deacons here. What's being referred to is just the simple observation of the congregation watching the life of a potential servant. Paul is saying the congregation must have time to get to know the person, to observe their life, see if they prove themselves qualified or not. Now, this is a word of caution especially to smaller churches like ours, which can have the tendency to get excited when new people join our church, right? 
We're excited. New people are coming in. We're excited to get them involved right away. And so we might nominate them, maybe in their first year here, for some elected position. Nominate them too early for us to really have had the chance to, to know if they are ready for it. And too early for the new person to even have a chance to, to know and understand what the position is that they're being nominated for. So let's make sure, let's make sure to give people time before we enlist them in official service and positions of leadership within the church. Now verse 11, verse 11 here, we have a bit of a conundrum. Uh, that's because in the original language that this was written in, in, in Greek, the Greek word is translated, in my translation here, as wives, but it could also be translated as women. Uh, I looked at ten different translations this week. Five of them translated it as women. Five of them translated it as wives. So that means you can decide for yourselves what, which way you want to go. How does a translator then decide which, which to use, wives or women? It depends on the context of where the word is located in the passage. And the, con the, the context here is somewhat unclear. Both could fit. There's no possessive pronoun in the original text. My translation says their wives, the their has been inserted by the translators to help you understand that it's supposed to mean the deacon's wives. But again, that's just a decision that the translators made. The sentence just begins with the Greek word gynekos, which is the word for women or wives. So you can decide for, you, for yourselves which way you want to go. It's, it's either the wives of the deacons who are being addressed here, or it may be just the women who can serve as deacons, which we would call deaconesses. So very good arguments made for, for, for either translation. Personally, I think Paul is re referring to, uh, I think Paul's just referring to women here and not deacons' wives. Um, women whom the church could elect to serve as deaconesses. But again, you are all sensible people. You can decide that for yourselves. Uh, now, let's remember the office of deacon here, as Paul and the apostles described it, was not an office of authority. This is not an office of authority over men within the church, which we learned in chapter 2, verse 12, was limited to only qualified men within the church. However, as I mentioned earlier, many churches for generations have used the office of deacon to be more like the office of an elder or overseer within the local church. Therefore, if that is the case, then it would not be appropriate for women to serve as a deacon within that particular church local church, for that would be a position of authority over men. But for churches where the leadership is more in line with the New Testament, women could serve as deacons or deaconesses because they wouldn't be in authority over men. They'd just be serving alongside. As we learn, deacons or, or deaconesses are servants who support the work of the elders by caring for the physical and financial needs of the church. So Paul closes then his, his uh, passage here, verse thir thir 13, with the reward for the ministry of faithful deacons. The reward for the, for the ministry of faithful deacons. Deacons reflect the ministry of Jesus Christ in a special way. In verses 10 and 13, the word serve is emphasized. Look at those verses. Verse 10, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons. 
Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you remember I told you the word for deacon means servant, one who serves. Deacon is the transliteration of the Greek word diakonos, which means servant. So in both of these verses, we have the verb form of the noun servant. We could say, verse 10, let them deacon as deacons. Let them serve as servants. Or we could say, those who deacon well as deacons, in verse 13. We could mean the same thing. So to be a deacon is all about serving. That's what it means, which, which doesn't excite a lot of people in our culture. We, for the most part, aren't too interested in serving others. We'd much prefer to have others serve us. That's our culture. That's where we live. That's who we are. On Friday night, um, Greta and I had plans, and I uh, went over to West Point uh, to pick Greta up from, from uh, work after she got off work. And Greta and I drove up to Sioux City to meet up with my sister and brother-in-law and uh, went to eat out at a restaurant. Uh, we walked into that restaurant, and a young man greeted us at the door and led us to a table. He, he then handed us some menus and then said, one of our servers will be right with you. So we looked over the, the choices on the menus. We, we leisurely talked about the different options we had before us. And then a young woman with a big smile on her face came to us, introduced herself to us, and asked if she could get us a drink. Then she hurried off, and within 30 seconds brought us our drinks, exactly what we had just asked for. She then asked us if we were ready to order, and we then each told her what we wanted to eat, exactly how we wanted our food prepared, and she punched it all into her little tablet thing, and then she hurried off. And we just sat there at that table, and we talked, and we relaxed. I was a little distracted because there was a basketball game playing on the TV just in my, <laughs> right over the shoulder of my brother-in-law. Um, but we just, we just sat there. We didn't do anything. And then a few minutes later, they brought us our food, put it down in front of us, and uh, it was just like we had asked it to be prepared, and it was delicious. It was, it was awesome. Uh, eventually, um, our server would, would come back a few times and ask us if there's anything else that she could get us, and a few times we did ask for some different things, and she brought them, you know, right to us. It was wonderful. Now, imagine if instead uh, of driving over to West Point on Friday afternoon, I called my wife, Greta, after she got off work and, and said, hey, honey, um, there's been a slight change of plans. Instead of meeting my sister and brother-in-law in Sioux City for supper, they're on their way to our house. <laughs> and so could you just hurry home and, and, and make uh, a meal for us to all eat together tonight? Uh, I, I just thought, you know, it was my idea. I just thought it would be more comfortable for them and would allow them, you know, to, to just not only see us but to see the kids as well. Um, so could you, could you just come on home, honey, and, and begin to prepare a meal for us? 
Does that sound okay? Well, we all know how that would go. Because <laughs> we, we all much rather be, be, be served than, than to serve. That, that's how we are, especially if we're looking forward to it. Therefore, the ministry of, of deacons within the church can be something that far too few of us will want to sign up for. But we are given some great motivation here in verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Gain a good standing for themselves. Points probably not to other people in the church honoring the deacon for their faithful service, but instead points to God. To the one who sees in secret, as Jesus puts it in Matthew 6. Deacons who serve well will be honored by God. They will gain a good standing for themselves in God's eyes. Not that they will earn their salvation because of what they do, but just that God sees everything. He sees what's done in secret. And he will remember every good thing that you do to serve his people. The great confidence in the faith, then, that is in Christ Jesus, points to the similarity that deacons will have with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For let us remember what Christ's own description of, of, of himself was in Mark 10.45. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to deacon." and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in Luke twenty two twenty seven, 27, Jesus says, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table, or one who serves, one who deacons? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who deacons, the one who serves. Jesus Christ is the deacon who came to serve us. He's the deacon of deacons. The ministry of a deacon reflects the ministry of Jesus Christ in just this special way. So what is a deacon? What does a deacon do? A deacon is one who serves the church as Christ did. Who lays down his life for the good of Christ's people. So that the ministry of the word will continue to increase that more and more people can come to know Jesus and have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray for each uh, servant here in this congregation, those who are uh, officially serving as, as deacons or, or trustees and in other offices in our church, who are assisting the elders in the ministry of the word and prayer who are making sure that we can stay focused on the mission that you've given the church, to make disciples of all people. Lord, build us up, we pray, through the good work of your people and help us to see and know that Jesus Christ is the one who came to serve us. And with every, every, every act that we do that serves your church, we are like him in that service. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.